Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rose irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined today by Ellison Weist. Hello, Ellison, and welcome home. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, yeah. You, you are across <laughs> the the big pond in Sweden seeing your best running friend. That's exactly right. We were over there for about nine full days. Uh, we split our time between Gothenburg, or rather Eötvös, Sweden, and mm. uh, then they, she and her lovely husband Pio, for Per Olaf, have uh, a cabin about two hours northeast of there. And uh, my goodness, I've already told Carl that my next husband will be a Swede <laughs> <laughs> because. <laughs> Not so much because of Pio, although he was so nice to us, but because Sweden is just an incredible country. And we had yes. such a good time and we had, they were just so nice to us. And, you know, you think about it. Here's this man who's been told, look, my best friend and her husband are coming over for nine days. You've never met them, but they're going to be with us. <laughs> and he was absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So I can't believe you've never met him before. No, because they've only been married since, let's see, it'll be three years on the 15th. Oh, so, yeah. Okay. They got married in 2020. Wow. Yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah. Brave souls. Wow. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that I looked at some pictures on your Facebook account. And so mm-hmm. is the cottage the kind of um, crimson color yes. building? Yes. 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 So, oh. And the picture, there was a picture after that that shows the view from our bedroom window. And you talk about bucolic. I mean, it's mm. just uh, you wake up and, you know, 50 degree, uh, high 50s weather. <laughs> and uh, look out it was just simply marvelous and the food they gave us they both love to cook so i Mm, mean just how wonderful yeah it really was yeah so did you spend some time naked in the lake as uh, there was talk of i didn't get to because they are having a much colder than usual uh, oh. Summer. In fact, there are other people. I'm, you know, now I'm following every Swede on Instagram, uh, <laughs> and they're all complaining about that. So oh. yes, yeah. So I, I have maybe another year or two to firm up this sixty-something-year-old <laughs> body. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. Oh, while you were gone, I totally was like, oh, I bet they're in the lake now. Yep. Yep. Uh, Buck naked. Mm-hmm. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and did you and Monica get to run together? Uh, we did not. We mm. took long long walks uh one day by my watch and by her husband's we walked over 11 miles now oh that's my gosh yeah that's wow walking not just the day-to-day traipsing but yeah we did that mm. so i think my average that for that full week was like just over eight miles a day walking yeah so, oh my goodness. uh yeah they they walk um uh-huh. and swedes as a whole you they mm. all look so healthy. <laughs> mm. Gosh, just kind mm. of incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But I did, I did have, I do have good running news. Yesterday, mm. drum roll, please. I ran mm. an entire mile without stopping. That's first time mm. since the pneumonia and COVID thing. Oh my so, gosh. Yeah. And remind us when that was in February? No. no when was uh, it? December. Oh my gosh. Even longer ago. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, it took it took a while, and this time I'm doing the heart rate training, you know, which mm-hmm. I always sort of poo pooed, and you know, like everybody mm-hmm. else said, yeah, that's too slow, you know. Mm-hmm. And thank you, thank you to the heart rate training. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah so oh my it, goodness. Well, congratulations. Yeah, I know. Five, ten years ago, I would have just cringed if I'd heard myself mm-hmm. saying. Oh, I know. I'm. I mean, the passage of time. It's just like what yeah. you're grateful for. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. Uh. So how's your life? Oh, good. I just ran six utterly pain-free, comfortable miles. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm pretty amazing. The The PT I'm working with, Amy Benton, is just a, nothing short of a miracle work. Oh, that's wonderful. And she's uh, she's been a guest of the podcast, and she is a dancer as well as a runner. And so she works uh, with John, my son, the dancer, and me, and does just great work for both of us. And I'm just reminded of how many hacks there are that can be done mm-hmm. with PT moves. You, you can just get – I just feel like I've gotten free speed and the just residual just I had just little niggling residual pain mm-hmm. all gone just oh my gosh yeah so she's working on things like you know getting me more mobility in my neck and working on my deep core abdominal muscles and just I don't know going to the root of issues so it's remarkable uh, so how far from Portland does she reach out with her? <laughs> <What's>, <laughs> you can come stay in the recording studio and have have you know like several sessions at once with her <laughs> on the on on my favorite bed there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Note to self. Yes, go um, stay in Sarah's guest room slash recording studio. Fantastic <laughs> PT. Yeah, yes. I'm making a note right now. Yeah, she is just wonderful and just wow. a great human being. I just adore her with all oh, my that's heart. that's wonderful. So. Yeah. So, well, today we are revisiting a topic that we had a podcast about back in, I want to say 2018, maybe 2019, and it's about DNFing a race, mm-hmm. and DNF stands for did not finish. And as we're coming up on arguably the biggest racing season of the year, the fall, I wanted to talk to quote unquote everyday runners who've started a race, but then not cross the finish line. Yeah. Yep. And it's a fate none of us envision ourselves facing. Yes. I think it, yet I think it's important to hear about the experience from 
people who have been in that experience, who've been in those shoes and discover what they learned about themselves in the process, as well as the nuts and bolts of dropping out of a race. So we're going to be talking with four women runners who DNF'd a race, a relay race, a marathon, two ultras. But Mm. first, we're going to talk to you, Ellison, (laughs) who DNF'd, lucky for me, you DNF'd an 8K. Uh, So, yeah. yeah. So tell us about that. This is not, I didn't have as much on the line as the four women we're going to talk to did, but it was back probably, it was before I met you. So I'm thinking early Mm. aughts, like maybe about 2001 or two Mm. and everything was fine. I started off on this uh, 8K run, which as you know, is fairly hilly. Yeah. It's one of the biggest races in Portland, the Shamrock AK. Huge. They do a 5K, an 8K, and a 15K. And Mm -hmm. I started off well. You kind of have some hills, but they're nothing like sort of the huge hill that all the racers have to do. And I had come up these little hills, had gotten to a flat out point, was about to start up the hill when I was seized. And I mean Mm. seized by an intestinal monster oh boy oh yeah (laughs) and all i mean literally my mind just went where do i go where do i go saw some bushes off to the side jumped inside these bushes that luckily were a little over chest high oh my god you know uh did the deed which was uh you know not fun i know your your <laughs> listeners might, love tmi this is, this is the city this is not <laughs> oh yeah there oh. are not cows oh, no, 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 and no, no, you know no. barns no. nearby this no. is the city good of point no good point mm-hmm. this is downtown <laughs> and then of course i'm in a pickle because what do i use for toilet paper what do i have i have my racing bib so <laughs> oh, that's i can't believe you've never told me this story oh, oh, uh, well can you guess why and uh, about that time as i'm sort of working on that end of things no pun intended i hear this voice say are you okay and oh, i said stop. and I, I held my hand up just like and, nope stop fine don't come any closer don't right, well are you ma'am are you sure you, i am fine please keep running <laughs> <laughs> so then I realized I had to do something. And by the time I got myself together and stood up and felt like I could sneak out of the bushes, I realized I was in no shape to keep running. So mm. I had probably about a mile to backtrack and uh, knew sort of a shortcut, got back. And of course, you know, my patient husband, Carl, is waiting there looking in the wrong direction for me. <laughs> I come up. <laughs> no, I'm over here, honey. <laughs> yeah, that's what I did. And the first thing, of course, he says to me is, where's your bib? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was my DNF in a nutshell. It was not oh. pretty. It was more you know, more of a mental uh, embarrassment. It was nothing that I really, you know, grieved, but Uh it was uh definitely one for the ages. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And so then, I mean, that's a part of town maybe you don't get to too often, but whenever you did the mm-hmm. drive near there, you're yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I get kept the praying. sweats a little bit. Yeah. Over the next couple of days, I kept praying for really heavy rains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Particularly because the evidence is left behind, oh. you know? Oh, they yeah. Can, they can trace that bib to you. Oh, great. I didn't even think about that. They're probably, there's probably still a warrant out somewhere. Right. <laughs> Please don't tell them where I am. Public <laughs> nuisance. Yes, exactly. Officer, she's left the state. Uh, yeah. It's really not worth the time and, and taxpayer money. Unless you're going to bring a physical therapist named Amy with you. <laughs> Then I'll go I'll quietly. I'll surrender as long as Amy Benton <laughs> yeah. can be there. I'll go quietly. Yep. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Our first guest talking about DNFing is Nancy Jensen, a consultant in Seattle who is the mother of two. Last summer, Nancy was running the first leg of a Ragnar Road relay when her knee seized up, leaving her unable to run her next two assigned legs of the relay. Thanks for sharing your story with us, Nancy. Oh, I guess I'm glad to talk about it. (laughs) It was very discouraging when it happened. Mm. You know, I had trained for this Ragnar, you know, because we had all been off. We did it in 2019 and then there was the pandemic. And so I was super excited to run this with all my friends and like halfway through my first leg. And it was one of those glorious runs, you know, where Mm. I was, for me, I was moving fast and it was a beautiful morning and the sun was out and there was a little bit of wind and I took a left-hand turn and then my knee just kind of said, you know what, you're not going to run anymore. And in fact, you're not even really going to walk. It was bad. Mm. You know, I walked the rest of my first leg, but then my team met me and I just said, I don't think I'm going to be able to do the rest of it. Mm. Yeah. So we'll, so we'll take us back to your running background. I know you've been a long time runner. I have. Yeah. I mean, I'm a recreational runner, right? Uh, I work very hard to be average. Um, Stop. No apologies, (laughs) no caveats. Um, But yeah, I've run off and on for over 35 years and more on these days. uh, And it's really as much to keep my head on straight as it is to be in good shape. Although I like being in good shape. And I will say some of these, like the original Ragnar I did, I had had surgery and was laid up for six weeks. And so I used it as a way to kind of get back in the game. Do you know what I mean? And, and I like having those like little stakes in the ground uh, to say, oh yeah, I'm going to train for this. You know, like I'm doing a run streak right now because I live in the Northwest, even though we're recording from South Lake Tahoe, I live in Seattle. And you know, those, (laughs) those Seattle winters are brutal. And so I used it as a, I'm using that as a way to kind of get out the door. Um, Mm -hmm. So with, with the Ragnar last year, I was like, Oh, I'm feeling great. I'm going to train for this. I, you know, I did speed work the whole nine yards. Mm. And, you know, Mm. I've done this over the years where I'll pick some, some race, train for it, do it. And then, the, you know, there's all the stuff afterwards where you go, oh, that was really fun. And now I'm going to eat a lot of cake and chicken. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nancy, I know that you talked about having some fairly strong emotions, uh, uh, you know, during the race and in the short term. Can you speak a little about those? Hey, Ellison. Yeah, I get a little choked up even hearing you say that. Um oh. Yeah, when it happened, I mean, I gutted through the first leg of the relay, but I knew my knee was toast. Mm. You know, I was, I mean, first, I was super disappointed, right? I had trained for this. But second, I felt bad because I was letting my team down. You know how these Mm. relays are, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we had already, it was still COVID, right? And so, like, we were joking that our vans were sponsored by iHealth. Um, because 
<laughs> we had a couple of people drop at the last minute because they had been exposed to COVID. So, you know, we knew that every leg counted. And I was so, I was distraught really mm. because I felt like I was letting my teammates down. And, you know, I don't know if I'm an easy crier or not, but when we got to my second exchange and my teammate Carol jumped in and, and did my legs, I just bawled. Right. Uh, Yeah. You know, and I'm like walking around talking to my husband. I'm like getting choked up talking about it now, Mm. you know, and I'm talking to my husband on the phone and saying, I can't do it. And uh, he will tell you, I have tremendous force of will. (laughs) So if I, you know, I knew that I could not, I physically couldn't run on it. And I was super grateful to Carol that she stepped in and took my legs, but I was so disappointed. And so at the drop off and the pickup, you know, I was okay in the van driving, but then I burst into tears and my teammates, of course, they were amazing. But then we had a a hotel at night and I was sharing with my captain, Megan and our friend Siobhan, and they both, you know, we're in there, we're getting set up. And of course, you know, you're exhausted because Ragnar's a crazy. Um, And they both looked at me and they said, how are you doing? And then I, burst into tears again, you know, and then for like a week afterwards, because all my friends and family knew I was doing this thing, probably because I built it up, right? And they were all like, how did it go? And I'm like, well, I didn't finish, you know, Mm. it was awful. It was the first time I DNF'd on anything. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's tough. It was. So I guess going from that, can you talk a little bit about what you feel like you learned from this experience? Yeah, I'm a hardcore New Englander at heart. Okay, so I I don't spend a lot of time wallowing in the self-pity. I just Uh went, you know, I'm an older mother running, let's put it that way. Uh And so, you know, I recognize that injuries can happen, but I was definitely disappointed that like, oh, this really, this is the time that my knee is going to start to be fussy, right? Mm Because I tend to not get injured. You know, I just kind of accepted that, okay, this is the way it is for right now. You know, Mm -hmm. I did six months of PT to come back with really, oh my God, the worst workouts ever. They're like, here, walk for 15 minutes and then walk for four minutes and then run for a minute. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it was, Mm -hmm. it, it was not satisfying. Let's put it that way. But I did what the PT told me and six months after the injury, I was able to run a 5k. Mm. You know, wow. And yeah, yeah, with lots mm-hmm. of KT tape, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so now starting in January, I started this crazy run streak because I said, well, I have to have something to get me out the door. And so now I'm on today's 221. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, wow. And what I think I learned was you can come back, but it takes time. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say, as yeah. someone who's run for many, many years, when you're younger, your body rebounds faster, right? Yes, it does. And when you're mm-hmm. older, you just have to employ some patience. Mm-hmm. So, but you gave yourself closure on this relay experience in what I call a pretty extraordinary way. Can you share that with us, Nancy? Yeah. So once I once I did that 5K and I knew that I could run the distances, my mother-in-law and my husband helped me they dropped me off and picked me up on the legs that I was supposed to run. So, yeah, because I was like, damn it, I want to put that decal on my car, but I'm not putting it on my car until I actually (laughs) run the legs. And so I I can't remember if I did it. It was in December. I wanted to do it before the end of the calendar year. And so my mother-in-law lives in Anacortes, which is about 
an hour and a half north of Seattle. And so she met me in Mount Vernon and dropped me off at my second leg drop point. And I did my run and then she picked me up at the, at the end. So I clicked that one off. And then uh, a couple of weeks later, my husband and I just took a little day trip. He works out of the house. So he's, he clocked out of work and we went over to Whidbey Island and I knocked off the last leg um, because I just wanted to do it. Mm. Yeah. That's great. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. That's and then I put the decal on my car. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> so what's next on your race calendar? Uh, <laughs> funny you should ask. Uh, I'm, I'm training for a half marathon, the, uh, the Orca half, mm. which is in West Seattle mm-hmm. next month struggling a little bit with the long runs. So I might switch that to a 10 K, but you know, where I, this is not the week to ask I'm running at altitude. So, you know, I go out and run a mile and I'm like, Whoa, I'm sucking wind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if not the orca half, I'll pick some 10 K to run. Okay. Awesome. Right. And then, you know, my goal of course is to do a year of the, of the run streak. All righty. Well, excellent. Well, good luck with that, Nancy. And thanks so much for sharing your story. Oh, thanks. I'm tickled to be talking with you all. <laughs> oh, all thanks, right. Nancy. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, bye. Next up is Jodell Walker, a veterinarian and mom of three from Augusta, Michigan. In April, Jodell had to drop out of a trail marathon because of GI upset that turned into GI bleeding. Okay, two things of full disclosure. One, Jodell was the person who suggested we revisit this topic for a podcast. And two, Jodell is pretty much my favorite ever dance partner during our retreat karaoke sessions. <laughs> <laughs> so, so glad to be chatting with you, Jodell. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad to be here with you. And it's so nice to meet you, Allison. Oh, it's nice to meet you. And we'll talk later about your karaoke skills. Uh, but for now, can you tell tell us all a little bit about your running background? Definitely. So I was um, not really considering myself a runner until college, where I used it more just to kind of stay in shape and kind of do my thing here and there. And then when I moved to Michigan, we moved here in 2011 is when I really started taking up running as my sport and really did it because we moved out here from the Pacific Northwest and I just needed to meet people. Mm-hmm. There's some great running groups out here. So I used it as a way to, uh, to meet people. And I've been a runner ever since. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, now let's, uh, can you take us through the events uh, that led up to you dropping out of the marathon this spring? It was the Hurt the Dirt Trail Marathon of April 2023. Is that right? Yes, it was. So uh, leading up to it, um, really, I went into that morning feeling so confident, super confident, great training season, really excited had not done much trail prep at all. We, I did most of my training just in winter uh, in Michigan, but felt still pretty confident. And it was a really great course because it was four loops of 6.5 miles, so four quarter marathons. Mm-hmm. And so I also kind of expected to be able to plan out my nutrition and any rest stops and that kind of stuff, like very good. I had it all prepared, ready to go. I I felt really good going into this race. So what, oh, and the other important thing is that I treated this week, race week, like I was in the elite, like I slept, I ate perfectly. I did all the things I was supposed to do. And I've never, (laughs) never done that for a race before. I've always kind of been like, eh, whatever. 
I'll try the pizza the <laughs> night before the marathon. It's fine. But I was taking this one pretty seriously. So ultimately what happened is I got out, got on my first loop. It went really well. Nothing too surprising other than trail is not road. And I kind of spent some time adjusting that and adjusting my pace as such. And it's a one track trail. So we are kind Mm. of in a line. So you're chatting Mm. with the people around you. Mm. It it was really fun. Um, Did all my nutrition perfectly, you know, as planned that first loop. So the first loop went well. So I came back around as a second loop and I took in kind of the nutrition that I was planning and my stomach started feeling just a little upset, which happens when we run. Everyone's experienced it. I wasn't unfamiliar with that feeling, but I was kind of a little bit on edge at that point because I had had a really weirdly great training season where I hadn't had any really many stomach issues. Most of my training runs went great. This hadn't been an issue that I've been dealing with. Let's just put it that way. So mm-hmm. as that loop progressed, I realized that it was getting a little worse and I was starting to feel nauseated, which was not normal either, not something that I had really experienced usually. And that led me to not really taking in the nutrition like I had planned to because I was starting to mm. get afraid. You know, you don't you don't feel nauseated. You don't really want to eat that goo or whatever you have planned there. So I still managed it. And I did some walking during that loop and it would go away and I'd feel better. And then I'd pick up again. So I made it through that loop. I started the third loop and that's when it really hit me that anytime I started to run, I felt really nauseated. I didn't have any sharp or crazy pains, but something was just off, kind of off in that like intuitive Mm. way that you're like, I know what discomfort feels like, but this Mm -hmm. is a different type of feeling. And I walked most of that loop for, so for 6.55 miles, I I walked it. Anytime I tried to pick up, um, I felt really nauseated. And the only thing that went through my head is I'm not going to be one of those runners who pukes out on the course, (laughs) which I don't know why. I don't know why I cared about that, but I was like refusing to be the one that puked out on the course. (laughs) So I made it back. I ended up going, you know, right into the porta potty, doing some things there, came out, looked at my husband, and I was like, I I can't go on. So I made 20 miles, <laughs> which is not insignificant. Um, wow. most of them I was mm-hmm. underfueled and underhydrated because I had stopped taking in things, which probably made things worse mm-hmm. in the end. But yeah, I mean that's when I called it. So it, it didn't feel that significant at the time. I'm like, oh, kind of weird, nauseated and just a little GI issues, but I just felt really weird. So that's what made me call it uh, mm-hmm. up into that point. Mm-hmm. And I imagine, okay, so all this is going on in your belly and points south. What were the emotions running through your head? You know, and then I understand it also affected you the next day in regard to your running buddies. Yeah, for sure. So the hardest part was that I knew my body could do this. My legs were strong. You know, the trail was up and down and up and down. It was not an easy trail, but I felt so prepared and I knew my body could do it. No part of me felt unusually fatigued from a, you know, athletic feet, physical standpoint. But it was that every time I picked up, something just felt wrong. And 
the real, like the peak of the emotion came where on trails, there's kind of switchbacks. And I, there was another runner out there, a young lady, and she looked at me kind of one of the switchbacks, looked down at me and said, we got this. I don't know her, nothing like that. She just said, we got this, could see it in my face. I don't really know. And the reason that hit me so hard is because my best training partner from the whole winter, she was always saying that. Like that's the exact line that she used was, Mm. you know, that end of that really long mile or when we were trudging through the snow or the hail, she was like, we got this, we got this. And when she said that, I was like, I don't think I've got this. (laughs) I, for the first thing, I'm like, Mm. I don't think I've got this. Like this is supposed to be the encouraging line that I was used to training with. And and it was the perfect Mm. line placed perfectly, but it really made me think I don't, I don't got this. I can't, I can't do this one. And so that was like midway through that third lap that I kind of decided I'm, I'm done. I'm going to call it at the end of this lap. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. So, and then it sounds like you had ripple effects of that DNF in that trail race. It had maybe had you second guessing a, a subsequent race. Yeah. So what happened is, you know, you, you end the race telling a race directive you're going to do a DNF. That's just really hard. I don't know why, but oh, yeah. it felt hard, especially because this is a race that a lot of people don't finish. But for me, I was like, well, why wouldn't I finish? I, I'm in shape. I can do this. But the ripple effect that it had, and and I had really thought about this, the things I experienced were disappointment, depression, and doubt, all three of those things. And especially... Mm-hmm. You know, when we're dealing with feelings like depression and doubt, we don't have a lot of intrinsic motivation anymore. It's kind of gone, right? Mm -hmm. To say, oh, yep, I'm, I'm trained. I'm ready for this next one. But that, that really seeps out when you start feeling those feelings. And you have to overcome that a little bit. And I had signed up for a sprint triathlon, um, the summer before I had to defer it because of a vacation. So it was scheduled for June this year. And right up until the day before, I was like, I just don't think I should do this. I don't think I should do this sprint try. I've been running. I've only done a little bit of swimming, not that much biking, coming up with all the excuses. And I'm glad I did. (laughs) The morning of is when I decided no excuses. Mm. I'm going to go do this. What's the worst case scenario? Nothing. I go out, enjoy a race, maybe finish it, maybe not. And it was one of the most fun races I've ever done. Great. And I feel like my running really shined on that run too. So it was, I actually, in years, I haven't run a 5k as fast as I did in that triathlon, which is after swimming and biking. So I kind of redeemed myself a little bit, boosted that confidence back up. So it was, it was good. I'm glad I did it. That is fantastic. So what kind of in a nutshell advice would you give for other women who've had to experience a DNF? Yeah. So there's two things that really came out of this as I started to analyze. And the one thing was that failure or a DNF is not synonymous with failure, right? If I look Mm -hmm. back at that day and not finishing this marathon, that's three or four hours out of what was five months of training. And if I think about the hardest part about this training cycle, it was not that day. It was 
being out in the snow and the freezing rain and getting up every Saturday morning and meeting up with people and, you know, doing the run that I know is going to take all morning, but I've got to do it anymore. The training is the hardest part. And having accomplished that and improved myself, made friends, had connections, all of that was what really came out of it. And that is not a failure. No. <laughs> None of that was a failure. Mm-hmm. So that was that was a really big one. And the other one, you know, there's this book called Do Hard Things. And there's a part in it where he talks about, you know, when you come across difficult things, especially as a runner, if you're in a situation where you feel like you might not be able to finish, if you're just honest with yourself and you acknowledge what your strengths and weaknesses are and you're capable of it, then you can come to terms with what you can and cannot do and you can just deal with it. And I think that's really helpful and it kind of built into me the self-awareness. Like, you know, we've been for so long pushed this, you know, prerogative of just push through, you know, have grit, just push through. But for me, I think self-awareness is more important. And and that really played out for me is like, you know, this isn't like, I could puke on the side of the trail. I could do that. <laughs> I could try to have this external <laughs> image of grit. But in the end, it was just knowing what I was capable of, what I was not capable of in that moment and making a choice and didn't have any long-term repercussions. Like I was able to come out of it um, just fine. Mm, that's fabulous. Yes. Thank you, Jodell, for you know, telling us all this and for also suggesting this topic. I really appreciate both. Yeah, no problem. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Well, we're going to take a break to hear from the brands that let us bring you this free content. Please support them like they support us. When we come back, we'll talk with two other runners who DNF'd. Stay with us. Our next guest is Jessica Hernandez from Klamath Falls here in Oregon. Jessica works for the state and is the mother of two teens. Jessica DNF'd in two races this summer, both 50K trail races. The two experiences sounds like they shaped up very differently, which will be interesting to hear about. Thanks for joining us, Jessica. Hi, it's nice to be here. Hey, Jessica, it's Allison, and I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about your athletic background. Sure. So... I have never really been an athlete. In high school, I played every sport, but I went to a tiny school, so you could play every sport. Um, and 100% was the worst player in every team. But um, <laughs> I did figure out early on that it would just take me a lot longer to learn to do athletic things. And eventually, like down through my life, I figured out that um, all of that is tied to autism. I was undiagnosed. Oh. But it takes me about four years to learn the muscle memory that other people have to do things. It took me four years to ride a bike, four years to swim, four years to roller skate. So I was never much of an athlete, honestly, um, growing up. Mm. Mm. Wow. Okay. Well, you're, you DNF 250 Ks this summer. I can't even say 50 K Jessica, because I don't think I could even (laughs) attempt something (laughs) like that. Can you tell us what happened in the two different races? I know that one was in June of 2023. It was the Spence Mountain 50 K. And the second one was going to be in July, 2023. Great Shasta Rail Trail 50 K. So just what happened? So what had happened, so I had been training since November of last year 
for that race in June because I knew it was going to have um, a significant to me amount of elevation gain. So I think it was three to 4,000 feet of gain over the whole course. Whoa. And I knew in June, our weather is unpredictable here. And I've always been super sensitive to heat. So I started that race knowing I was going to be just pace really slow, just try to make that cut off and keep going. And I did great the first half. Um, the first half was a half marathon and then a 30 K loop was the second half and it just got too hot. And I had been avoiding the hot weather. <laughs> I would run like early in the morning or late in the evening um, mm. to try to avoid the heat. So what really happened is that second loop about seven miles into it, I knew that I was in trouble. Like I ran out of water. It was only 82 degrees and I was having trouble like maintaining a 20 minute mile pace. So oh. when I got to that aid station, there was nine miles left to the race and I couldn't couldn't keep the trail from wobbling in my vision. Mm. So I knew that it was that I needed to stop. And I was perfectly fine with that. I was so happy. Like that 22 miles that I got in was the longest I've ever run. Um, mm -hmm. So I didn't have any sort of like, I didn't feel bad about it. I just was like, yay, made it 22 miles. We'll try again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the other race was a completely different situation. I knew that I was going to have to manage heat because it was in July. And then just by chance that happened to be the same week that we had a big heat wave. So the expected high was 104. Oh, oh boy. And I practiced as much as I could in the heat, as much as I could with hydration, with nutrition, and I was ready to go. So <laughs> I was doing great, actually going maybe two minutes a mile faster than I thought I should be going. Mm, wow. And I got through the first six miles to that first aid station, doing pretty good. And I kept going. And at the half marathon mark, probably 13, 15 miles, somewhere in there, um, there was supposed to be another aid station. And about three miles before that, I ran out of water because it was in the 90s at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and But I figured, you know, I've, I've trained for this. I can do it. We'll just get to the next aid station, fill everything up and keep going. Um, so I get up there and there's no aid station. Like this aid oh station word. had been picked up and I wasn't, it wasn't one of those situations where I was behind cutoff. I was had significantly enough, like there was enough time to do it. They had oh just boy. miscounted and picked up everything. And so there I was oh, 13 geez. miles in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And I got really lucky that people, I mean, it was the trail crossed a dirt road. And it's pretty rural. It's a rural part of California, Northern California. And one vehicle came by and gave me two bottles of water. But my logic no. was, if this aid station is gone, the next aid station is going to be gone when I go back. I can't make it safely in 100 degree weather. Like It's not going to work. Mm -hmm. And so another vehicle pulled up. And this is the part that I always think like, this only happens to me. Uh, <laughs> this lady pulled up in a truck and she, I was crying at this point. I was so upset that like I knew I couldn't finish and it was out of my control. Um, and she offered to give me a ride back and she had a little badge hanging from her rear view mirror. And she's like, Oh, I'm a member of the press. And I'm like, of course, of course I would get picked up by the press. <laughs> so <laughs> she drove me back and it was fine. And I was upset that it was out of my control. Right. But you know what? Like I said, I've already signed up for another race. So <laughs> good for you. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you mentioned that you definitely had different reactions because the first one you felt so proud, you got to 22 miles. It was a personal record for you. I mean, talk to us a little bit about the thoughts after each of them, particularly after that second one. 
Sure. So after the first one, I just felt like I knew what had gone wrong. I knew that it was the heat. I knew that I could work on that. And I knew that that was completely within my control. Like it was up to me to do the heat training. It was up to me to make sure that I maintained my mileage and, you know, was doing everything right. The second one, I hadn't, I think I just hadn't considered that things would be out of my control. For me, I was just like, I've already asked ahead for the cutoff. I know I can make it. I know where the aid stations are. They should be there. And so it was, I think it just, I remember feeling like complete shock. Like what, why is it not here? It should be here. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it was, I mean, honestly, it was devastating to have put in all that work to know that if that aid station had been there, I could have completed the race. Right. It wouldn't, right. even in those higher temperatures, I had prepared the best I could for them. Um, so that was the really frustrating part. And it did, I mean, there was a positive outcome, I think, for that one in that I was able to talk to the race director who was race directing for the first time. Oh. She acknowledged that there were things to work on. She was absolutely horrified. And she, I think she realized the danger I was really in. If nobody had come by, like that's pretty mm-hmm. scary. So yeah. it was definitely a lot more emotional. I didn't feel like I wasn't capable. I was just frustrated that things were completely out of my control. And it did make me for the first time think about the trail races that I want to do because I want to run a hundred and that I do need to build some sort of safety plan into my training. So Excellent. So you really did learn several lessons from him, it sounds like. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, what advice would you give someone who either needs to DNF you know, and they're, they're fighting that decision or somebody who has DNF'd and is struggling to move past the experience? I think if from, from my perspective, this is how I look at it. It's not, I know a lot of people see DNFs as failures, but I see them almost as like little roadblocks. Like, okay, this roadblock is here. How would I work around this next time? How do I figure this out? Right. And if, if you can't complete a race and you realize you're going to have to drop at the next aid station or wherever you're at, in my mind, I immediately start thinking about, okay, what can I do differently the next time I try this? I never see it as, oh, I can never do this. I can't complete this. Right. Um, and I think part of that is because it does take me so long to master like physical things. <laughs> so right. I'm really used to, well, I guess in four years, I'll get this 50K under my belt at some point. <laughs> <laughs> that's an excellent attitude. Yeah. Good on you. I mean, that's, that's a fantastic attitude. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I hope that the third time is going to be the charm. Yeah, you're signed up for the next 50K. It's this fall? Yes, it's in October. Mm. And is it, I mean, what part of the country is it in and, and what do we think the weather's going to be like? Um, so it's also in Northern California because I'm like so Southern Oregon that I'm basically a Californian. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. we don't hold that against you. Yeah. <laughs> it's in Susanville, California. It's the Biz Johnson Trail Events. Um, and because it's October, I'm hoping that it'll be a nice crisp morning. The course is pretty flat. It's actually a pretty downhill course after the first part. Mm. So I'm hoping that even if it does end up being a DNF, which I don't think it will be, I think that'll be the one Mm. then I'm close to home. You know, it's, it's not too bad. I Mm -hmm. I'm excited to, I love running in the fall. I love snow running. So if it's snowing that day, I would be so happy. (laughs) that's the attitude yes oh my goodness well jessica it's been a pleasure talking with you thank you so much yes thank you 
Our last guest is Nikita Griffey, a social worker who lives in Akron, Ohio. She has two 30-something children. Nikita DNF the beautiful Miwok 100K in May of this year. Thank you so much for being with us, Nikita. Thank you so much for having me. Nikita, uh, this is Ellison, and I would love to hear about your running background. Okay, so my running background, I started running in high school, actually. I think 10th grade, maybe our school brought back the women's cross country team. I went to an all black high school um, in East Cleveland, Ohio, Shaw High, and they brought back our girls cross country team. And my best friend and I decided to join the team. We barely had enough people. We would have to beg for the fifth or sixth person to make up our team score. Mm. But that's kind of where it started. And I continued running cross country and track in high school, very non-competitive, just doing it for socialization. And then when I got to college, I did it for the gym credits. Mm -hmm. Um, We got to travel a lot. We got free shoes. So that was all good. But I think in 2007, back, you know, fast forwarding to my adult life, one of my coworkers was an avid runner at the time. And she talked me into signing up for a local race, Akron Road Runner Relay. And so there was a five-person relay team and there were two 10K legs, two 5K legs, and then like a seven-mile leg. And I said, if I can do a 5K leg, I will do it. (laughs) And trained, did it, had an amazing time. One of my best friends did the other 5K leg and we committed to do a race a month for the rest of that following year. And then I've just kind of, I fell into getting familiar with the different running groups. I um, came to know Black Girls Run, who was my first love, first running group, but so many different running groups that I've joined throughout the years. And it's turned into just like a hobby, meeting a lot of people, just really increasing the challenges. Yeah. I want to hear about, there's a relay race uh, that you were signed up for that I've wanted to do. It's on my bucket list. And that was the Selma to Montgomery relay that you had hoped to run in March 2020. Tell us about that. Yeah, so Selma to Montgomery is part of the Civil Rights Race Series. It is an amazing race. You have to, have to, have to get there. But my first time training for it was right when COVID hit. Mm. It was canceled like two weeks before the race. And I, uh, my really good friend and coach, Crystal, had trained me and we were ready to go. But it retraces the steps that Martin Luther King led the people for voting rights. So it starts at the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma and ends at the Capitol in Montgomery. And it is 52 miles of highway. I think they shorten it for us. It's like it comes out to about 50 miles and you can do it on a bike. You can do it as part of a relay team or you can be crazy like us and just run the whole 50 miles. (laughs) And that's kind of what we did. But the first year it got canceled. So we had a friend who rerouted us and planned a virtual route here in Ohio. So we started in um, downtown Oberlin and he had researched all these different historical black history landmarks mm. that we would encounter along our way. And we started in Oberlin and made our way through up to Shaker and finished at a church where Martin Luther King had visited and preached when he was in the city. So mm. that was our, my first big ultra race, I guess. Mm, that gives me chills to hear you talk about that, the, the, the special places that you got to pass along that, that race. That's awesome. That's so great. Yeah. So tell us, before you tell us what took you out of that 100K, the Miwok 100, tell the folks a bit about Miwok 100K. It's an iconic ultramarathon and what I consider the most beautiful trails in the U.S. 
Well, that was my very first time um, visiting the West Coast. And I have to say, I agree with you. That was (laughs) the most, Mm. like, I just oohed and awed the entire time I was in um, San Francisco. So Meatwalk Mm. takes place at Stinson Beach. Mm -hmm. But I think San Francisco was the major city that we flew into. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are a group of friends, you know, that I met through running. And we were all talking about running Selma to Montgomery. So it started with, you know, a conversation about, hey, let's all get together as a large group and, you know, have more uh, ultra runners at Selma to Montgomery. And so it started off as a big group of, you know, maybe 15, but, you know, life and injuries, it dwindles down. But our group is called Bugs and it's Black Ultra Runner Girls. <laughs> and so one of the girls in Bugs said, hey, you know, I ran this race with Mama Lisa, who was the coach. And, you know, she told us all about Me Walk 100K. So in 2020, and Mama Lisa is a seasoned ultra runner. I think she's in her 70s, but she's amazing, um, phenomenal runner. And she had been running Me Walk for several years and um, is great friends with the race director. And they, in 2020, um, had a conversation about the lack of diversity mm-hmm. at Me Walk and created this initiative, a diversity initiative, to bring more black and brown runners to the start line eliminating barriers for people to get to races. So this was my first time experiencing a race, you know, as, you know, a quote unquote sponsored athlete. And it Mm. sounds crazy to say because I'm not elite. I'm not, you know, I'm just an average (laughs) runner. But they really poured into us not only in terms of getting us to the start line, you know, with logistics and travel and lodging, but also connecting us with a coach and a nutritionist but, you know, really invested in our training for 18 weeks to bring us to the start line. And very similar to what happened with Bugs and Selma to Montgomery, um, by the time it came, you know, May rolled around, our team that we had we'd been communicating via email, it was down to just five of us oh. um, that towed the start line at Miwok 100K. And it was, I believe it was Cinco de Mayo of this oh. year. <laughs> And yeah, there were uh, three women and two men that started the race. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Kudos to them for bringing in black and brown runners. That's um, an important thing that needs to be done in this running community. And so so tell us about how that 100K experience unraveled. Oh, boy. Well, and I went into Miwok, you know, I am one of those people, if I follow a plan, you know, then the result should be what the plan says. If I follow a recipe, then (laughs) what I make at the end should be a cake, right? And so that's how I approached Miwok. I, you know, I did all of my workouts to the best of my ability. And I say to the best of my ability, I live in Northeast Ohio. So we started training in January, (laughs) you know, blizzard, it's cold, it's crazy, it's icy. And but I made it happen. Like I, you know, I was very deliberate to make sure I got my workouts in. One of the things about me walk that's unique is the amount of elevation in that oh, race. I know. Good lord, uh, San Francisco has the most incredible hills and mountains. <laughs> but there's eleven thousand eight hundred feet of elevation in that race. Yeah. And a large part of our training, you know, in addition to the mileage, was focused on getting the elevation in. Mm-hmm. And I was really struggling in Ohio to find elevation. So there were literally days in my training where I would just spend three, four, five hours doing hill repeats <laughs> just oh, to get goodness. the elevation in. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So when I pulled up to the start line that day, I was so nervous, so anxious, so excited, 
you know, so many different things. And, you know, I should back up and say we came in on Thursday and the race started on Saturday. Mm. And, you know, we get there and it's raining off and on. Oh. And everybody's commenting how it never rains here. <laughs> it never rains. Not it in never May. Rains. Yeah, exactly. Not in yeah. May. Yeah. But so, you know, so we already had the rain factor. And with the rain came a lot of fog. Um, mm-hmm. So it was very foggy. Um, It was very, it was an eerie start to Mm -hmm. the race. It was, you know, it was beautiful at times, but it was just, you know, there were times where I was by myself and I was scared and, Mm -hmm. you know, it was, Mm -hmm. there was just so many different emotions. Mm -hmm. But Miwok starts, um, one of the things that's unique about Miwok is that it is clock timed. Mm. So it starts at 5 a.m. and it ends at 8.30. No matter what time you cross that start line, you're done Mm -hmm. by 8.30 or you basically didn't finish the race. The other thing that was new to me is that it had at different aid stations, there were cutoffs. Mm -hmm. So you would, if you didn't, you know, achieve a certain distance, then you would be pulled from the course. And that was very new to me as well. I'm used to, you know, doing a longer race and saying, you know, for this marathon, you have six hours, but you know, you have six hours to get to the finish line. Sure. But this is no, you have, I think um, the first cutoff was like, was at the half marathon mark. And that was like three hours and 15 minutes. And then we had three hours to get to the, to finish the next mm. half marathon and so on. So you know, my spoiler is that I got eliminated at the second cutoff part. Mm. But, you know, getting to the first one, like when you start me walk, there is an immediate bottleneck going up into the woods. And it's this insane vertical climb Mm -hmm. for at least two miles. And we're single file in the woods. It's so quiet. I swear everybody could hear me breathing. It was just, it was just <laughs> quiet. People were, we were just shuffling uphill in the dark and in the rain. I've got my headlamp on, but I can't see because it's raining and it's foggy and I have astigmatism and it just is like, it was just unreal. And I was just, you know, and I was so anxious, mm-hmm. you know, I, I always get pre-race jitters, but mm-hmm. it felt extra heavy Mm -hmm. this time because I just felt like, okay, there's people counting on me and people that are are believing in me. And, you know, I had through the months of training, you know, online had talked about it so much. And Mm -hmm. there were so many people rooting for me Mm -hmm. that it just, I was feeling all of that as I started this race and, you know, starting uphill, like my heart rate was just out of control. And Mm It got to a point where we started to thin out. There were a couple runners behind me. It felt like an army. But when I finally was able to get out of the way, it was really just three people past me. But after that, it was by myself for at least an hour and just weaving my way through the woods in the dark, just praying and giving myself positive affirmations, searching for flags. I had heard, you know, there were, there was a group that went to Miwok the year before and, you know, some of the runners got off course. And so I'm looking through Mm. the fog for flags and, oh boy, but the sun came up eventually, right? It (laughs) it always happens. (laughs) But, but I felt like that's when I got, I, you know, had this burst of energy, hope, fight, determination, whatever. And I'm like, listen, we trained for this. And that's when I get in my head, you've trained for this, reminding myself of the hours of hill repeats, reminding myself of the mileage I put in. And, you know, you can do this and just really coaching myself through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at different points, finally started to see other runners. And I'm approaching the first aid station or the first 
check off and I am pretty close to the time, but I'm like, I got this, you know, just mm-hmm. keep going. And at one point, Miwok is so mountainous, if that's a word, where you can, you know, the aid stations are in the valley. <laughs> and <laughs> at one point I can see the aid station. It seems like it's forever away, but we're winding down the mountain so tightly that it's really not that far. And I hear this man in the distance and he's yelling, five minutes, you got oh, five minutes. And then it's two minutes. And then, you know, there's me and there's one runner that's <laughs> a little bit in front of me. And he's like yelling at us that you got to move now. You got to go. And I'm sprinting out oh of the goodness. woods <laughs> into this aid station and I barely made it. So I think we had three hours and 15 minutes. I got there at three hours and 17 minutes oh. and the timer said, listen, you're the last two in. Oh. I know I was, that's what I did. I was like, Oh my God, I made it. But the other tricky thing about me walk, it's not to get in the aid station. You have to get out. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that three fifteen means you have to be out of the aid station. Oh, so I'm, you know, huffing and puffing because I've sprinted. My Garmin moving time at that point was like 7.30 or something. Like I was sprinting, wow. like literally sprinting. Wow. And I grabbed a couple of like the little waffles, the mm-hmm. honey stingers off the table uh-huh. and just kept going. And, you know, I'm hiking up another hill and I'm huffing and trying to catch my breath. And the race director, Tia, runs up and she's like, just so supportive. You got this, you know, keep going, try and catch that runner. There was one runner ahead of me so uh-huh. that I could actually see. And but just super supportive. Keep going. Keep going. Oh, my god! And so I did. <laughs> I, oh, boy. And we navigated mud, rocks, um, all <laughs> kinds of things. And we never, you know, I finally caught up to her, Rachel. And we, you know, kind of stuck together for the next stretch. Uh-huh. And it was hill after hill, mountain after mountain. At mm. one point, the sweepers caught up to us. And they were like, keep going. You know, it's and if it's going to flatten out. They lied. It didn't flatten out. <laughs> it just kept going. And I think we had both decided we're going to try but we're not sprinting. I'm not running that hard again. I was hungry. I mm-hmm. had to use the bathroom. There's no place to like squat on those trails on the mountains. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there's no out. trees. There were, there's no bushes. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we were just like, you know, at that point, you know, I just had so many <laughs> different emotions and I, you know, I was just feeling like, okay, I'm letting my team down. I'm, I'm not going to make it. Mm-hmm. And we shuffled, you know, I was having some leg pain at that time. And again, everything was from the sprint, I'm sure. Mm, You know, she was having some cramping. And so we just kind of said, we're going to get there the best we can. And the funny thing about the 26 mark, which is the next aid station, is that Mm -hmm. you enter or you finish into like a horse stable or something so there's a guy at the bottom of the hill unlike (laughs) the guy that was screaming before who's like telling you to walk and you know be you know so you don't spook the horses and so my goodness we kind of walk through there and I am just feeling I see mama Lisa my coach and then our crew and I just am feeling like I have let them down Mm. and she had the biggest smile the biggest hug she was Mm. so excited she's like oh my god you did so great I'm so proud of you and it just Mm. like I I was I was shocked because Mm. I like I said I was this whole time thinking they've invested all this time and resources in me and Mm -hmm. you know the best Mm -hmm. I had is 26 miles and you know it was the opposite but Mm. as she's standing there you know, comforting me, congratulating me, being excited. The aid station captain kind of 
kind of shuffles in sideways and he's like, you did a great job. I'm going to need your bib. I have never had my bib repoed ever. Oh. <laughs> and it was just like, <laughs> dang. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the bib repo mile 26, that was the end of my Miwok uh-huh. journey. You know, I was just kind of in shock. I was relieved. I was tired. Mm -hmm. I was feeling a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But when you finally, you know, get to eat and put on (laughs) some dry clothes and, you know, have a moment. I was was just proud of myself because, you know, I, out of the five of us, one of us finished the race. I was the third furthest along, Mm -hmm. you know, before Mm -hmm. I got eliminated. Mm -hmm. And it's a hard race. Oh, sounds that way. Yeah, just yeah. a lot of unknowns to me and new stuff. And mm-hmm. I, you know, mm-hmm. I think I navigated it <laughs> the yeah. best I could at the time. I'd say so. Oh, wow. Well, that is some saga, particularly that I can just see the fog and the rain and the darkness. You just really took me there on that one. So you talked about your coach being there at that um, aid station where you got re- your bib got repoed. I love that phrase. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so how has your coach helped you process the experience and how are you both using that DNF to alter or improve your training cycle for next year's Miwok? I mean, Mama Lisa was phenomenal. Like she was proud of every one of us mm-hmm. for whatever distance we did. She was just proud of us for being there. Mm-hmm. You know, ultra running is not a very diverse sport. It's not just me walk, but I run with show groups now and there's nobody Mm -hmm. that looks like me, not one person. So she was excited for us to show up and take on the challenge. And she just encourages us to continue to do the work moving forward. Like I know now, you know, I was a road runner. I still am a road runner. That's Mm -hmm. my preference, but I fought trails for forever. Um, But I did most of my training, probably 98.5% of my training on road. Oh boy. And one of the things I've done differently since then is I have joined a trail group. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. It's something. They're great. Um, (laughs) They're amazing athletes. I've, you know, been in all these, like we have a beautiful parks here that I didn't even know about. Like I've never been off the paved trails and Mm -hmm. They challenge me. They push me. I am 100% always the caboose. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there is a search and rescue mission. Like they always have to come back and find me after a while. (laughs) But I'm pushing myself to train in the trails um, Mm -hmm. because elevation on a hill when I'm just on the main street versus the kind of elevation that you're going to get when there are obstacles and roots and rocks and Mm -hmm. mud, it's just completely different. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, one of the things that Mama Lisa has challenged us is to train more, um, sign up for 50K, 50 mile races ahead of time. And I'm, you know, I I just did a trail marathon Mm. last weekend. Awesome. I think it was last weekend. Yeah. (laughs) And as I was doing that race, it reminded me, okay, this is how far you got during me walk. And my goal for that race was to beat my me walk time. Mm -hmm. I did not, Mm -hmm. but I learned a lot. I mean, in this race was, you know, we were running in a thunderstorm. We had, wow three stream crossings. We had fallen trees like Miwok won't have any of that. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. but it helped to boost my confidence of, yes, you can, you know, just keep going, just keep climbing, just keep moving. It's that relentless progress forward. Mm -hmm. Mm, I love that. 
I love that. So any parting words of wisdom for listeners who find themselves needing to or being forced to DNF a race? I say do it and keep moving. Like, don't let that define you. Mm-hmm. Don't let that deter you. Mm-hmm. You know, the only thing that DNFing Miwok did for me is make it so it's not a race that I want to do again. It's a race that I have to do again. Mm. I need to finish what I started. And, you know, that's the stubborn part of me as a runner. I don't fail. I don't give up. And my version of failing is just to not try again. So yeah, I DNF this time. I'm headed back in May of 2024 and hoping to finish that distance. And if it doesn't happen in 2024, I'll be back in 2025. Mm, I love that. My version of failing is to not try again. That was, um, thank you. Oh my goodness. Yeah. All right. Well, good luck and best of luck to you next May. And really it, it should not be raining in May in the Bay area. (laughs) I don't know. It was definitely raining the whole time. (laughs) Oh my gosh. All right. Thank you so much. It was great talking with you. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Wow. All right. Well, you may have noticed that Ellison was missing in that she had to hop. Something came up with one of her grandkids. So, Wow. I I just love that. Uh, My version of failing is to not try again. The determination of all those women. I really hope that that is the message that came through uh, listening to them. So please join us for our next running retreat being held November 3 to 6 on gorgeous Hilton Head Island off the coast of South Carolina. We bring in guest presenters, lead group runs on the flat hard pack beach. It's so beautiful. The first time I ran on it, I saw dolphins right up close to the shoreline. Uh, We eat delicious meals, do yoga, make loads of new friends, lots of laughter. All of this we do at the front row seat of the Atlantic Ocean from our host hotel, which is called the Beach House. Hilton Head may be our last retreat for the foreseeable futures. We're debating pressing pause on our retreats for a bit. So if you've ever contemplated attending an AMR retreat, now is the time to register. Please go to anothermotherrunner.com, click on events in the top navigation bar to find all the details and to register. Again, go to anothermotherrunner.com, click on events at the top of the homepage. Our podcast today was produced in St. Paul, Minnesota by Barry Medore from Fire on the Bluff. I'm getting waved at by my oldest daughter, Phoebe, and the <laughs> the little fella that she is a nanny for, who is the son of our original podcast producer. Oh my god! <laughs> and he's just a cherub. He is uh, coming up on three, and he has these tight, dark blonde curls oh. and just this chubby face. Oh, that was very wonderful to oh, see them. Good. Um, anyway, anyway, I interrupted myself. So, so. so the-